Greetings, Dog Nation. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View From The Couch, and it's Saturday in Athens. Thank you so much for joining the podcast this week. Somehow, this is our last preview episode for the 2023 season, which means the season is one week away. Next Saturday, we get kicked off uh, fully. Uh, This next week, we kind of build up to it. There's a very interesting game happening on Thursday night. We'll talk about that just a little bit as we go along today. But um, this is it. Today is actually, if you're listening to this on Saturday when uh, when it will drop, there are a couple of games today. I don't know that any of them are great games, but you got Notre Dame and Navy playing over in Ireland later this afternoon, and then USC and San Diego State playing later tonight. So a couple of decent teams on the uh, on the Saturday before the season even starts, so that week zero situation. So um, there we go. It We're here. We're done. So uh, a couple of things that we need to just talk about. I don't want to uh, go back and redo our offensive preview, but there was a significant injury to the Georgia backfield this week that we have to talk about and a little bit talk about the uh, implications of that injury. Branson Robinson, the guy that uh, I was so excited about, probably the most excited about in Georgia's backfield, talked about him last year as a true freshman. He really, when he got an opportunity to run the ball, you could see how much talent he had. Uh, Obviously scored a couple of uh, touchdowns, in the national championship game last year uh, in, in what was mop-up duty, but yeah, that, that old game ended up being a lot of mop-up duty. But um, unfortunately, he he uh, ruptured his patella tendon on Tuesday, and he's going to miss the entire season. Uh, prognosis for his recovery is good, so he will be back next year. But for the second straight year, Georgia loses a running back in preseason. Last year it was Andrew Paul. This year it's Branson Robinson. Uh, last year... The loss of Andrew Paul did not really hit the way this one is going to because the reality is Kendall Milton, who we've talked about on the podcast before, senior running back, definitely Georgia's most talented back, but his whole career has been plagued by injuries and his spring has been, spring and fall, have been plagued by injuries as well. He may be healthy enough to play, but he's, you know, early in the season, but he he's not 100% right now. Um, don't know that there's going to be a ton of reason to play him in the first game or two of the season. I mean, not to say that he won't play at all, but he's not going to get a lot of carries in the first couple games. I wouldn't think even with Robinson's injury. So it just leaves Georgia in a very precarious position at running back. Cause essentially you've got Milton who, if he stays healthy, okay, George is probably okay as I go through this. But if he picks up another nagging injury the way he has every year he's been in Athens, what you're left with is Dejon Edwards, who is a, a good back. I wouldn't necessarily say he's great. Andrew Paul, who's coming off the ACL. And true freshman Roderick Robinson II, who we talked about, big guy, just a huge bowling ball kind of dude, true freshman. And behind him, you got Cash Jones, who's a walk-on. So you have Dejon Edwards, who's never been the number one guy. He's been the number three guy at, at best. He was number three last year. Um, 
And then you got a couple guys that have never played before and a walk-on. So I'm not being dramatic when I'm saying that I think that this could have a significant impact on Georgia's offense early in the season. Now, by the time we get to the midway point of the season, Jacksonville and afterward, you would imagine the experience that these guys have. uh, would they're, They're not freshmen. They're not unproven at that point. But early in the season, specifically against South Carolina, against Auburn and Kentucky, um, it, it could be a problem. And, and I don't think it's overly dramatic to say that Georgia's as many weapons as Georgia has offensively, the lack of depth at tight end where Lawson Lucky got injured and, and it's unclear how long he's going to be out, but it seems like it's, it's not a one or two week thing. I don't know that it's a whole season thing, but it, it it's a significant amount of time for Lawson Lucky the problem we have is a lack of depth at tight end, a lack of depth at running back, and a plethora of wide receivers. Now, can Mike Bobo do some things in the offensive game planning? Use some receivers out of the backfield, kind of in that Kenny McIntosh role. Maybe you put Lad McConkey back there and let him do that. I, I don't know. Uh, Bobo's getting paid a lot of money to figure it out, and he's going to have to. So um, that was some some really bad news for Branson Robinson. All the best to him and uh, his recovery. But for the 2023 dogs, I, I'm starting to get a little nervous, guys. The, the injuries are, are, are not going great. Um, before we get to our SEC East preview, I wanted to take one minute just to do a little bit of an update. I had the opportunity to go to the Touchdown Club of Athens meeting this past week, and um, it was interesting. Uh, the first the first meeting of every fall, uh, we get to hear from Kirby Smart. So he comes in, he kind of talks for you know, 10, 15 minutes, does his thing, and then he opens it up to questions. And um, the, the fun thing about Kirby, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, is he, he doesn't lie when it comes to these kinds of conversations. I, I won't I won't be so strong to say he never lies to the media because he probably does at some point. Even though, in general, I, I don't think there's a lot of – there's a lot of coach speak with Kirby, but there's not a lot of bending of the truth. He will just flat out not answer a question. He'll do the, the he and Saban have that car, that, that club in their bag to just be like, yeah, you, you say that, but who's saying that? Are you saying that? You know, the, the <laughs> that kind of combative way of essentially not answering the question. But typically if Kirby answers a question, he's, he's going to tell you what he thinks, or at least he's going to say it in a way that you can see what he thinks. So I thought I'd just mention a few questions that got asked um, and, you know, kind of his answers and, and, and what we might be able to glean from those. One of the first questions that got asked was about Mike Bobo and how he's doing in, in fall camp and just kind of what his mindset is. And Kirby was so quick to say, oh, Bobo's fine. He's got a chip on his shoulder, and I think that's really exciting because he's a little pissed and he wants to prove himself. And that was a very honest answer. Because if you think, if you're Mike Bobo, and you've been hired as the offensive coordinator, and as soon as you were hired, the entirety of the country goes, oh my God, they're going back to that guy they had 10 years ago. Mm, That's not good. You would have a chip on your shoulder. So having Kirby just be honest about that, be like, oh yeah, he's pissed. That was great. Now, does that mean anything when the games start? Not necessarily, but I think it probably shows that Bobo's very motivated, uh, which which can't be a bad thing. One player that he talked about uh, a lot was Makai Muse. He came back to him a few different times as people ask questions in different ways about 
maybe people we weren't expecting to to contribute that we might uh, we might notice. Uh, another question got asked about you know uh, a player who really just has a, the perfect mentality and and a few different times in a few different ways he comes back to Makai Muse who is a very small. Uh, very diminutive rod receiver, probably going to be in on some special teams. They're going to be in on some offensive uh, schemes as well. But he just talked about how great of a spring and a fall practice he had and how he's got the best mentality or one of the best mentalities on the team. One story he told was about uh, somebody that came during fall camp to speak to the team, and that was Sylvester Kroon, who was the first African-American coach in the SEC. He coached at Mississippi State. Um, I have a hard time remembering exactly when that was 10, 15 years ago now. Um, but he was a, a player on an Alabama team in the 1970s that was trying to win three straight national championships. And he, you know, Kirby said he brought him in because he wanted him just to tell him what his experience was. What was it like winning two times and going for a third and how it, how your mentality in that third year is different, how other teams that are kind of playing you prepare differently. Um, and I just thought that was very interesting. I, I, if, if you've ever listened to Kirby, not in a press conference setting, but in, in any of these kind of, you know, you get a clip of him at it like a, uh, a coaching clinic or something like that. I, he is an amazing motivator. And I'm not just saying that as like a fanboy thing. He is really bought into the idea of building leaders and motivation. You know, everybody talks about the whole – comment that was made after the game last year the national championship game about you know how did Kirby convince these guys they were going seven and five he actually got asked about that at a press conference this week and he said you know I never told them that what I did tell them was you go out there you look around you listen they're doubting you you go and prove them wrong and he said you know we played the disrespect card going into a couple of games last year obviously one of those games would have been Tennessee uh, when Georgia was ranked three by the committee and Tennessee was ranked one. So, you know, he admitted that he played that card, but he said, hey, I never I never said there's media out there saying y'all are going seven and five. He's like, but I did tell him you're being disrespected and you need to prove people wrong. And, you know, he said, I I don't think that was a lie. Um, you know, he, he said he never thought they were going to lose five games last year. I think that's the way he said it. So um, I, I, I thought that was extremely interesting that he brought in a guy who it would be very respected in the room because he was a player. He has been a coach in the conference to talk specifically about the challenge facing the 2023 Georgia team. By far, the most interesting thing he said at the entire event was this team has more depth and quality of leadership than any team we've had at Georgia since I've been here. And he very quickly said, but we're not as talented. So if you're a Georgia fan, you have to understand, and I think we've kind of talked about this on the podcast, this Georgia team is not what the past couple have been. And that doesn't mean they're not very good. It doesn't mean that they can't compete and even win a national championship. But this is different. This team is different. The schedule sets up in the right way. He talked about the fact that they've talked about in practice. We don't have an early season game like an Oregon or a Clemson to really fire ourselves up. So the toughest team we're going to play at the beginning of the season is ourself. And he's talked about how hard he said, this is the hardest practice they've ever had in fall camp. And the the weather has been terrible because it's been a hundred degrees almost every day. And he said, you know, 
we've pushed them more this offseason and in this lead up to the season because we don't have that big game. But he acknowledged the lack, not necessarily lack, the the decrease in talent on this year's team, which I thought was extremely, extremely interesting. So let's move on, uh, take a quick break. We're going to come back with our SEC East preview and going to give a little more detail um, for the East than we have uh, definitely the other conference previews and even maybe a little bit more uh, than we did the West last week since I'm a little more familiar with all the East teams because Georgia plays them every year. Um, And then in our last segment, we're just going to kind of wrap it all up. You know, I've talked about a lot of stuff. This has been a five-week preview show. Um, So just kind of final thoughts, how they might have adapted over the course uh, of the lead-up into the season. And uh, then that'll be it for the preview part of the 2023 show. So be right back, and we'll talk about the SEC East. All right, let's dig into the Southeastern Conference Eastern Division. This is, as I mentioned last week, the last year of divisions in the SEC. And if I'm not mistaken, in Power 5 football, which I guess next year will be Power 4, but all of the conferences are going away from the divisional model. I have suspicions that once uh, that that could change. I'm still not convinced the Big Ten won't reconsider divisions uh, now that they are adding two more teams from the West Coast, maybe I'll be wrong about that, but uh, it does not seem like it makes any sense to have those far West Coast teams traveling east as much as they'd have to if you're just rotating through everybody um, the way that they had planned when and, and not playing each other, right? So the idea that Washington wouldn't play Oregon or potentially UCLA in a season, but they would play Rutgers in Maryland, that just doesn't make any sense. Now, part of that is because coast-to-coast conferences don't make complete sense. But um, at least at this point, the plan is for this to be the last year of divisions in all of college football, and obviously that includes the SEC. So we're going to start – I'm going to kind of do this backwards, right? So we're starting with Vanderbilt, and Clark Lee was the new head coach last year. His team was very solid. They were feisty. They almost made a bowl game. This is not something I went into, you know, I go to ESPN.com, look and say, okay, what did Vandy do last year? I didn't remember them almost making a bowl game, but they went five and seven. They beat Kentucky and Florida in back-to-back weeks. Um, you know, this year they they open up with Hawaii this Saturday night at home. I think it's a 7.30 ESPN game. I'm, I'm assuming uh, <laughs> that is a, a big deal for the Vandy folks. I, I haven't heard an update, but I did hear a couple weeks ago that their stadium renovation wasn't going to be done on time, and this Saturday's game was going to be played in a high school stadium. Uh, but I also read later that that high school stadium seats like almost 30,000 people. Uh, so if that's the case, that's plenty big enough for uh, Vandy in Hawaii. Um so they open with Hawaii, then they play Alabama A&M, Wake, and UNLV. Now, Wake, obviously, they have, for the last few years, been a pretty above-average team, not just in the ACC, but in all of college football. But they've lost their quarterback to Notre Dame, and so it'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, rebuild there uh, off of what they've done. But I, I don't think it would be unreasonable to think that Vandy could be 3-1, and one, you know, going into – uh, or coming out of those first four games, I mean, if they were four and zero, obviously they'd be going crazy in Nashville. But that might be a little bit too much to ask. Um, 
But then their conference schedule starts, and obviously that's where a problem is going to be for Vandy. They host Kentucky and Missouri, and then they go on the road to Florida for the first three games in the conference. If they're going to make a bowl, I think they're going to have to. That's where they're going to have to get to six wins right there, because after that, um, it it just gets crazy. Um, at the end of their season, that's where they're playing Tennessee. They're playing Georgia. They're you know the, the back half of their schedule is very difficult. However, their schedule is kind of set up weird because they're playing this week zero game. They're not off the following week, so they actually have two bye weeks: uh, one in October and one in November. So. When they play on the 30th of September against Missouri, that will be their sixth game. They'll be halfway through their schedule at the in the last week in September, which is just kind of odd. I mean, the numbers all add up, and it makes sense. There's an extra Saturday in September this year, so it's already kind of extended in the season a little bit. But just that that really struck me as like, wow, they're they're halfway done, and it's September 30th. The, the team I've got slotted to finish sixth, and let me just go ahead and put a caveat out here. For me, three to six is a crapshoot. So I don't think we have any Missouri fans listening to the podcast, but if we are, this is not any disrespect to Missouri. I don't know. I really don't. I think there's a lot of interchangeable teams uh, in the SEC overall, but definitely in the East uh, when you talk about six to six to three. Missouri had a rough start to last season, but they were real competitive in a lot of games. Everybody's going to remember that they scared the daylights out of Georgia in October, but the week before that, they just lost to Auburn in overtime. The week after losing to Georgia, they lost by seven at Florida. So, I mean, yes, they, they lost three straight games in October last year, but they were really close to winning all of them. So it, that that's kind of tough. They lost to Kentucky by four in November. Um, I don't have any sense of what the expectations are at Missouri. You know, when they came into the conference, they were still kind of a Big 12 team playing in the SEC. And because of the East being down in 2013 and 2014, they won the division and played in back-to-back SEC championship games. Now, they got absolutely smoked in both of those games, but that happened, right? Like, they, they made it to that point, and they haven't come close to that since. And... I just don't know how the people in Missouri feel about being in the SEC now. Obviously, it was a big deal for them, but it doesn't feel like they've been able to really adapt to the SEC, specifically when it comes to those lines of scrimmage. And, you know, obviously they have a lot of skill position players. They always have. They've had very, very good to a, a better than good quarterbacks um, for, for pretty much the entire time they've been in the league. But, they just get they don't seem to be able to hold up and maybe it's a depth issue maybe you know i i don't know what it is but over the course of the season they just lose games that they shouldn't even when they're good they lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to and they don't seem to be able to put a 9 or 10 win season together even playing in the east so you know i, I if you gave truth serum to a missouri fan would they rather be in the big 12 if I were Missouri, I think I would. I mean, what's the point in playing? You know, same, I guess, goes with Vandy. Like, does Vandy go around telling everybody how awesome it is to play in the SEC and win three or four games a year most of the time? I don't know how they feel about that. But if I were a Missouri fan, I would much rather be in the Big 12 where I could potentially compete a little more often, or at least when I peak, I have a chance to win the 
the conference. You know, they won a couple divisions, but they they're not anywhere close to winning the conference. And it feels like in the last six or seven years, they've gotten way far behind. Um, you know, and been passed in the league by teams like Kentucky and South Carolina in particular. So um, the schedule this year um, is a little, it, it, it's just terrible. They, they, they play K-State in uh, the third week of the season. Uh, then they have to play a solid Memphis team. I think they probably are five and one at that point. But then in October, they host LSU. They're at Kentucky and host Carolina. They have a bye week. Uh, the first, or sorry, the the very last game of October is a bye week, and then they come to Athens, um, and then they're versus Tennessee uh, and Florida before they go on the road to Arkansas. So that back half of the schedule, LSU, Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas. I mean, it it's very possible that they could start five and one and end up six and six with that schedule. Uh, my fifth place team in the East are the Florida Gators. Now they were six and six last year, and they had a first round draft pick, Anthony Richardson, at quarterback. Um, this year, Anthony Richardson plays for the Colts, and maybe even worse news for Florida: Graham Mertz, the old Wisconsin quarterback, is their quarterback. Um, I I don't think Florida is going to be very good. Um, they are extremely hot on the recruiting trail. Okay. They've won a lot of recruiting battles. Now, at this point, those are just verbal commitments. Nobody can sign into December. But I think this season is going to be very, very difficult in Gainesville. And I, honest to goodness, think that unless Billy Napier can get pen to paper in December and sign the class that he currently has committed, which I believe is in the top five of the nation, this might be it for Billy Napier. So if if they struggle in the season like I think they will, and then they start losing some of these recruits, I think it could snowball, especially at the end of the season with the way the back after their schedule is. Um, this could be it for Billy Napier. I, I I wouldn't say that's the the odds-on favorite, but like 60-40, he comes back to he's fired. And I think it probably has just as much to do with securing that recruiting class as it does uh, actually winning on the field this fall. Um, I think... Um, so they open the season. This is the game I was going to talk about. Thursday night, this Thursday night, August 31st, they open the season at Utah. So Utah, I think in the preseason, is ranked 14th. Um, that's a nationally televised game on ESPN. So that's awesome for someone who is not a Florida or Utah fan to be able to really have what should be, I, I would expect, a competitive game. you got one of the better teams, uh, the two-time defending Pac-12 champions hosting an SEC team on on a Thursday night to open the season. Now, we don't know about Cam Rising, if he's healthy, if he's going to play. We don't know what's going on with a lot of things at Florida. If that game gets sideways and if Florida gets blown out when they're the only thing going in the country, um, it, it could get bad early. They play Tennessee on the 16th of September. I think they're going to end up losing both of those games. So you're, you're sitting there three weeks into the season and you're already one and two. Um, after that Tennessee game, they're at Kentucky, they host Vanderbilt at South Carolina and then the cocktail party. So November actually gets worse for them. Somehow they play Arkansas um, the week after they play Georgia, they're at LSU at Missouri. And then they close against Florida state barring an upset. 
I think it's safe to say they're seven and five at best. And to get to seven and five, you're telling me they're going to beat Kentucky, South Carolina, and Missouri, and all three of those games are on the road. Now, it's not impossible, but it's, you know, it's not easy playing on the road in the SEC, especially with a team that's not at the top of the conference. So I think they probably lose at least one of those, but maybe more. If you told me they go 6-6 to again, I completely believe you. I think that's probably the safest area to be. But I don't think five and seven's out of the question. I don't think four and eight's out of the question if it gets bad. Just because of the way, the order the games come in and how quickly if they lose to Utah and then they lose to Tennessee and if either one or both of those games are lopsided, I think the Florida fan base is going to be completely done and checked out. I mean, they're, you know, they've already sold the tickets in the swamp, right? But you're going to be talking about a game against Vanderbilt in October where will anybody be there? You know, we're going to the cocktail party. Uh, a, a group of my friends and I are going to the cocktail party. Listen, I, I kind of want to wait till after the Tennessee game to try to buy tickets because I think there might be a lot of tickets on the Florida side of the field that are up for sale. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a good year at all in Gainesville. Let's move over to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I think – the Gamecocks are coming in uh, a little overhyped in 2023. Uh, and, of course, I think there's a reason for that. What they did in the last two weeks of last season, beating Tennessee the way they did, then turning around and, you know, squeaking one out against Clemson in the last game of the year, um, it it has really propelled expectations coming into this year. The reality is it, they needed those two wins, those two upsets, to finish 8-4. and four. Um Somehow they got blown out by Florida at home um, and they lost at home to Missouri. So just a weird up and down season. You know, if you go back to the beginning of the season, obviously Georgia was a very good team. They won the national championship, went undefeated, but they smoked South Carolina at South Carolina last year. I think it was like 41 to three or something crazy like that. So it was a lot of up and down last year. And Spencer Rattler of all people, the guy who threw the second most, interceptions in the sec last year he has been talking a lot a lot about what they're going to do and who they're going to be and how they're going to play they come to athens in week three we'll see you know i mean i i would be surprised if 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 spencer rattler backs backs it up but he's going to have the opportunity they open in charlotte against north carolina game day is going to be there so that's a big stage like i said they're here in the third week of the season um, it's the first CBS game of the year, the first game for CBS in the last year that the SEC will be on CBS. So uh, that's another big stage. So two out of the first three weeks, they're going to have a lot of eyes on them. Maybe they do. Maybe, maybe they play great. Maybe they come in here and shock the world uh, week three and they're 3-0. and and, and then all of a sudden, maybe Spencer Rattler was right. Or maybe they lose a shootout with UNC. They come in here and get smacked around again. And then all of a sudden... Uh, all that talk in the offseason, maybe it was because they got lucky against Clemson and they beat a Tennessee team that uh, that, that just had an off night. But we'll see. Um, the rest of the schedule is, is pretty manageable after the Georgia game. Um, they do play at Tennessee and host Florida in back-to-back games, but there's a bye week in the middle. They're at A&M at the end of October, but that game falls between Missouri and an odd late-season non-conference game against Jacksonville State. Um, they're home all of November. 
That that is a weird part of their schedule. Their last four games all at home: Jacksonville State, Vandy, Kentucky, and Clemson. So they'll have a lot of opportunity to finish out, you know, at home if they can do it, um, or if they can manage the the September and October portions of their schedule. You know, they got to play Clemson at the end of the year, and I think Clemson is going to be pretty good. So we'll see how that goes. Um, there's a lot of optimism in Lexington about Kentucky. Former North Carolina State quarterback Devin Leary transferred in. That's a guy that a lot of people think, even though they lost Will Levis, uh, who was drafted, I believe, in the second round, um, a lot of people think maybe Leary is a, a better fit for what Kentucky wants to do on offense even even than Levis was. Um, they lost close games last year. They lost by three points to Ole Miss, 10 to South Carolina, um, 10 to Georgia, and three points to Vanderbilt. But then – they were absolutely embarrassed by Iowa in the uh, bowl game, twenty-one to nothing. That they ended up going seven and six. Looking at this year's schedule, I think they're four and zero oh, uh, before they get into the meat of the schedule. But it is a very, very, very tough schedule. Starting on the thirtieth of September, just listen to this. They play Florida at Georgia versus Missouri. Then they have their bye week, and they're they host Tennessee. They're at Mississippi State. They host Alabama. They're on the road at South Carolina and on the road to Louisville to finish. Um, if they go nine and three with that schedule, they should build the Mark Stoop statue the day after they play Louisville. Um, because if they go nine and three again, there's a lot of optimism, and I understand why there is. They have a very good offensive line. They have a very solid defense, and there's a lot of optimism about Devin Leary at quarterback. But that schedule is something. I mean, that is a really, really difficult schedule. I mean, if you take the bye week out, you're playing Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee three out of four weeks. Like, that's just – I don't care. It's here. It's there. It doesn't matter. Like, that's really, really difficult uh, to to pull that off. So, we'll finish our preview of the SEC East by talking about Tennessee. Um, They are so high up on Rocky Top. You know, last year was the best season Tennessee's had in a decade – now they have Joe Milton coming back. He's got the greatest arm in the history of football, if you hear people talk about it. Um, what could possibly go wrong for the Volunteers? And I think the answer is the month of October. I think Tennessee's 4-0. I think they beat Florida, but then they host South Carolina on the 30th of September. Listen, there's so many toss-up games. If, you, if you're listening to this and you wonder how, when I'm talking about one team, I talk about a, you know Florida potentially going 4-8. and eight. And then I talk about the next team and I go, well, but they got to play Florida. How is that possible? Well, there's, there's just a lot of 50, 50 games in this league. I I really think that I think, you know, on both sides, it, it there's not a dominant team. I, I mean, I think Georgia is in the East is head and shoulders better than everybody else. But it, when you really look across the conference, would it shock me if Georgia lost to Tennessee this year? Absolutely not. Would it shock me if Georgia lost South Carolina? Not really. I mean, I'd be very disappointed. I don't think Georgia should lose to them. Would it shock me if Georgia goes on the road and loses to Auburn? Absolutely not. Like, there's there, there's a lot of good B-plus teams in this league. I really believe that. Now, they're going to beat each other up, so there also might be a lot of 7-5 and five teams in the league. But, you know, that's what we see year over year is you look, in, you look out maybe in the Pac-12 – and you've got a UCLA going 10 and 2 or something like that and you go wow UCLA what a season they're way better than Kentucky who went 7 and 5 well maybe maybe not may you know like i think there's a lot of balance i don't think there's the top end dominance in the SEC like there's been in the past 
But I think there's a lot of balance in the con- conference. So I think hosting South Carolina, a team that absolutely beat the snot out of them and ruined their season last year, that's going to be a big game for the Tennessee folks on the 30th. After that, they have a bye week. And then they host Texas A&M and they go at Alabama the next two games. After Alabama, they have to go play on the road at Kentucky. I don't think there's a team that beats teams twice more than Alabama. You play Alabama, and then if you lose, you turn around and you lay a dud the next week. A&M at Alabama at Kentucky, that is extremely difficult. I think a and is going to be a lot better this year, and I think playing at Kyle Field, I wouldn't know for Georgia because we've never played there. They've been on the conference since 2012, but, you know, schedule and stuff. Um, and you would think we'd go there next year, but we do not. We do not. We go to Austin, Texas, before we go to uh, <laughs> to, to play at Texas A&M. So, anyway, um, I, everybody before the season, Tennessee folks, are all circling the November 18th game against Georgia. Okay, that's a very late season. That's the second to last game of the season. That's the Saturday before Thanksgiving. They are all going to be ready for that game. But the reality is Tennessee has to be good enough and win enough early in the season to make that game what they think it could be. Because if Tennessee's 10-2, and two, but they've lost two games in the conference, they lose to A&M and Alabama, it doesn't matter if Georgia comes in that game undefeated. It does matter, but it won't matter for the conference championship if Georgia loses that game. They'll have a game in hand over Tennessee because of their losses. So, you know, if Tennessee's good enough to beat Alabama again, well done. I've already said I don't think Alabama is what they've been in the past, but that still doesn't mean you just walk into Tuscaloosa and win. I think Texas A&M is going to be better. I think Kentucky's going to be solid. So, it's going to be a lot to manage that middle part of the schedule, and that's if they don't screw around and lose to South Carolina or Florida in one of those games earlier in the year. Um, we're not going to talk about Georgia. We've been talking about Georgia for five weeks, so we're, we're, we're going to move past that. So ultimately, I said last week, I think in the SEC West, that LSU is going to win it. I do have Georgia winning the East. Um, I, I think LSU drops a game somewhere, I, you know. I think Georgia's 12-0, and 0, not because, again, I've, I've already said in this show, they're not as talented as they have been. That's coming from the head dog himself. But I just think the schedule is perfect for this year's team. If the 2021 team was on the field this year with this schedule, Georgia would be 15-0 and 0 and you could just skip the season. I, and I'm serious about that. But that's not the case. I think there will be a couple close calls. I think it's going to be competitive. But ultimately, I just think the way it will all end up shaking out is that Georgia's playing a lot of teams exactly when they would want to play them. You're playing Auburn early. I think by the end of the year, Auburn's going to be very, very good. At the end of September, are they ready for a team like Georgia? Maybe not. Playing Tennessee late. I think early in the season, Tennessee's going to have a lot of mojo, but I don't trust Joe Milton to not screw up and cost them a game or two. And like I said, they'll play them late in the season if they already got a couple losses. You saw that Tennessee team really lay an egg against South Carolina last year after the Georgia loss. So be careful. I, th- I just think it sets up for Georgia. So I think Georgia's 12-0. and I think they go uh, and beat LSU in the SEC championship game just like they did last year and end up in the Sugar Bowl. So um, I want to pause here. And we'll come back and I'm going to talk a little bit about just the whole postseason uh, predictions and, and just kind of finish up our preview of the 2023 season. 
All right, let's wrap it up. Um, as I just said, I, I like Georgia coming out of the SEC um, for a lot of reasons, but I, I feel like I've kind of made my case. If Georgia does go undefeated and they're in the SEC uh, or they're the SEC champions, uh, they they will play in the Sugar Bowl. Now, let me just let you get ahead of this a little bit, folks. You're, this is this is a tip right now. It is, as I am recording, it is the 24th day of August. I need you to go to wherever you put in time off and go ahead and ask for January 2nd off, okay? Because the way the playoff schedule works this year, the playoff games are on New Year's Day, which means the Sugar Bowl kicks off at 8.45 p.m. on New Year's Day. That means the Sugar Bowl will end at about 12.15 a.m., on New Year's Day. Now, I assume we're all going to be uh, young people and we'll stay up on New Year's Eve to, to ring in 2024. But then we got to turn around and do it again. And I don't know about you, but that is not uh, something that my 38-year-old self is going to be capable to, of doing very easily. So uh, might want to go ahead and ask for that January 2nd off. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing that here in just a few minutes. When I think about the season, and, and, you know, I've broken all of this down and I've kind of done it a little bit in a vacuum, right? You look at this conference, you look at this conference, you look at this conference. And I guess I'm just a negative person sometimes. And, and I, I see what a lot of teams aren't. Um, but when I think about it holistically, and I've obviously done a lot of research, and I've thought about it kind of broken up that way. But when I really look across the country and I think about this season, it doesn't make sense to me that Georgia runs the table. Like, it just doesn't. Like, good teams lose. It, it It's not – last year was spoiled. That 2021 team was the best team. I genuinely believe this. That 21 team was the best team in the history of this school and one of the best teams in the college football playoff era. And they lost that game to Alabama, the SEC championship game. And last year's team was undefeated. They they never lost a game. They, they had the biggest win – in bowl history in the national championship game, but they should have lost Ohio state and they should have lost to Missouri. And I just don't see Georgia running the table. I mean, I just said, I think they will because if I don't look at the schedule and go, that's South Carolina is going to come in here and beat Georgia. That doesn't make sense to me. In his fifth game at Auburn, Hugh Freeze is going, you know, with, with a Michigan state quarterback in Peyton Thorne, that's who's going to beat Georgia. Florida, with all their problems at the cocktail party, they're going to beat Georgia. Tennessee, late in the season. Oh, it's at Knoxville. Okay. I, I, none of those games are the game of like, oh, okay, that's the one we lose. But it also doesn't make sense to me that they go 12-0 and for the third straight year. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't happen in college football. If they do, all credit in the world to Kirby and the players and the program and all of that. But sitting here on the 24th day of August – it's hard to think they won't lose sometimes. So if you're a Georgia fan and you understand where I'm coming from with that point, I hope we lose to South Carolina. I hope we lose. If we don't lose that one, lose to Auburn. If we don't lose that one, don't lose to Florida. I'm going to be there. I don't, I don't want to watch that. I, lose Tennessee, fine. I would much rather lose one in the regular season than lose one in the playoffs, right? So I guess that's the way Georgia fans should be thinking. Um because when I look around the country, I could convince myself that every everybody has flaws. And I don't think it takes much to convince yourself of that. Georgia's got a new OC, a new quarterback, lack of depth at running back and tight end, and they've got their weakest defensive line since 2020. 
If you look over at Tuscaloosa, Alabama's got no quarterback, no perceived talent at wide receiver. Uh, offensive line that somehow everybody thinks is going to be good this year after they sucked last year, and a defense that was super bad against the pass last year. LSU's bringing everybody back, but they lack depth, and I'm not totally sold on Jaden Daniels being able to be consistently great. Clemson's wideouts could be sitting in this room, and I could not tell you who they are. And I don't know, you know, I know my buddy Jeremy, he's a big Clemson fan, and I I hope good things for Clemson until they run into Georgia or if they run into Georgia. But who's playing wide receiver at Clemson these days? It used to be that it was a revolving door of just talent, talent, talent. Maybe we don't know their names because DJ wasn't good enough to get them the ball that last year. Maybe we find out their names very early in this season because Clubnet's good enough to do that. But I don't know that you can bank on that. Florida State's got some talent, but... They had a lot of talent last year, and I think they went like eight and four, nine and three, right? Like, why do we think that team all of a sudden is eleven and one? Just because they might be, because that's the next step. How often do teams actually take the next step? Ohio State can't pick a quarterback, and they've all and in the last two years, they've gotten absolutely physically dominated by their most hated rival, and they got to go play at Michigan again this year. Michigan's coach is out for the first three games of the season, and they seem so focused on Georgia in the offseason, a team they don't even play. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost to Penn State. Texas is back, 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 back again. But they haven't won anything of importance in well over a decade, and their coach has never won more than nine games in a single season. USC could have the best offense in the country, but they couldn't stop anybody last year, and buying Big Bear Alexander isn't going to fix that. Washington, Oregon, Utah, Oregon State, they're all solid teams with a lot of potential in the Pac-12, but they play each other, and it most likely nobody's going to be able to separate from that pack. So there you go. There will be no playoff this year because nobody's good enough to make the playoff. And as I was trying to wrap this up and I was thinking about my previous shows, I don't think I thought anybody was in the playoff. I think when I did all the conference previews, uh, except for the Big Ten and the SEC, um, I could find – I didn't think USC would make the playoff. I didn't think um, anybody coming out of the Big 12. And I was suspect about whether or not Clemson and Florida State wouldn't beat each other and knock each other out of the playoff. So I, nobody's going to make the playoff. And obviously that's not true. So then you have to kind of circle back to it. I've seen some people projecting that it's an all-Big 10 SEC playoff. I hope to God that is not what happens. I will, and I'm not kidding with you. Even if my team is in it, I will be less interested in that playoff than any other. And in the last year of the 14 playoff, how beautiful would it be if we actually got a national championship playoff? So that's what I'm picking. I'll take Georgia, Ohio State, USC, and Clemson in that order to make the playoff. Uh, no confidence in that at all, but that's what I'm going with, even despite the fact that Jeremy texted me earlier today and said I was going to be mad at his preview. Check out the 3rd and 15 podcast, but if he tells you Georgia's not going to be any good, don't listen to that. Um, I've got That would put Clemson and Georgia playing in the Sugar Bowl. That's Ohio State and USC in a Rose Bowl and, and what feels just like a beautiful way to finish this 14 playoff. For Georgia fans, here's here's the deal. Georgia's trying to do something that has not been done since World War II, and there's a reason that it hasn't been done. It's incredibly difficult to win three in a row. So we're going to finish our 2023 preview by going back third or 10 years to the last time there was a team out there that was trying to win three in a row. 
It happened in 2013, and Alabama had won back-to-back titles in 11 and 12. They're undefeated, and they head to the Plains to take on Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Auburn was coming off a season where they had gone 0-8 the previous year in 2012. 0-8 in the SEC, but the Gus bus had gotten rolling. And there was some luck and a prayer at Jordan Hare that had kept Auburn in the the one-loss column. And they had an opportunity, if they could do the unthinkable, and they could beat the juggernaut Alabama, that they could not only win the SEC West, they, they could play for the SEC championship, and potentially they had an outside shot at a national championship. The kick six is still the most remarkable play I've ever watched live in my life, any sport. There's nothing that I have ever seen in sports. Uh, last second to win a national championship game in basketball, that was that was pretty impressive a few years ago. But there is nothing I have ever seen as remarkable as that kick six. In Auburn, the way Saban argued on the sideline to get that one second added back so he could try the long field goal that ended up uh, being the, the, the deciding play of the game. It's the never it's the greatest play I've ever seen. And as I was thinking about that over the last few days, it it hit me that there was somebody else on that sideline who was the defensive coordinator of the team that was trying to win three straight and watched as Davis ran up that left sideline of Jordan-Hare Stadium and into the end zone, and that place went completely crazy and finished off Alabama's quest for three in a row. That is the kind of thing that can happen to a great team that's trying to do something great. So I'll just say now to finish this preview, for the love of all things holy, Lord, please, please don't let us lose to Tech in Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening for the entirety of this preview. I hope you have enjoyed it. We will be back next week on Thursday. It should drop Thursday morning to preview Week one, we'll start with a preview of Florida and Utah. By then, we should know who's playing and who's not playing. And we'll have a full preview of the first week of the college football season. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have had a wonderful time. I have certainly had a wonderful time recording these shows. Take care of yourself. Enjoy week zero. And as always, go dogs.